Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. My name's Tim. Uh, we are, uh, Christian mentioned, we're finishing up our Apostles' Creed series today. How about that? Ooh, there will not be a test. We're not doing a memorization test, but um, we've spent this time in this ancient kind of uh, statement of faith, and I want to wrap it up with you all today. Um, and this, but before that, uh, this past, I guess just over a week ago, June 14th, Christy and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. It's a pretty fun day. It's also Flag Day, which is another thing that we a big deal. No, not really. Uh, but it is for not, but I mean, never mind. Um, so we celebrate our 15th anniversary. And so two, uh, 15 years ago, like right now, we were in St. Augustine, Florida uh, on our honeymoon. After our wedding, we, we, um, we got married in Michigan. We we're getting ready to go to our, uh, our honeymoon. And we did kind of the best thing possible, which is getting my two-door purple Honda Civic and drive for two days. Just, you know, what better way to celebrate your new marriage than plaster to a Honda cloth seat. So we're driving all the way down to St. Augustine, Florida. And we, uh, we were, um, uh, what's the word, financially, uh, well, we house sat for free for two weeks. So that's what I'm trying to say. So we found some folks and they had a house on the beach. It was like a family connection. They said, yeah, you can, you know, uh, stay at our place. We're great. Yeah, we'll go down there and stay at our place. And all you have to do is um, we have a dog and two cats. Uh, just, you know, just take care of them. Keep them alive for two weeks. And um, so that's what we did. Dog, Finnegan, these two cats, uh, take care of them. And uh, one of the cats died. Uh, so we, we, but it's not our fault. <laughs> Seriously, let me tell you. We're, we're there and the cat is not acting cattish. And we, um, we call the owners and we're like, this cat, is, something's wrong. And they're like, oh yeah, uh, it has, it's dying of cancer. We're like, maybe heads up on that for the next week <laughs> on the, our house city. So. The uh, the own, we the owner ended up, like they were they were over in Orlando. Somebody drove over. They had to come and put the cat down. It was very sad. I mean, we had just met the cat, so we were okay. But um, it was it was very sad uh, for them. And we kept the other animals. We kept very healthy for the rest of our time there. And um, that was our that's what we run you know celebrate our honeymoon. But here we are on our honeymoon, and even in this like wonderful celebration time, this you know in a, this way the death. Like, a, you know, it's an animal dying, but death kind of breaks in to our, uh, to our honeymoon. This time of celebration, death. Uh, I was on thinking about um, kind of our life and end of life this past week. Apparently, if you, you calculate it, we're, we get about 3 billion heartbeats in our lifetime. About, about 3 billion. So everybody take, take two fingers and find, find your pulse. And if you're, I know the talented nurses are like, I do. I've never found my pulse on my wrist. <laughs> and it's like thump, bump, thump, bump. We get three billion of those. Sometimes at night, I'll, uh, I'm praying with the girls, and I'll have them put their head on my chest. And I'll, uh, they'll listen to my heartbeat, and then I'll put my head on their chest, and uh, I'll listen to their heartbeat, and the thump, bump, thump, bump. This, uh, this life that we're given. Three billion 
heartbeats. But then this, this time comes, and the thump bumps end. It's part of, it's just part of, this is part of life in this world, the thump bumps end. Uh, this thing, death. And uh, today, in the Party of the Apostles' Creed, we're looking at, uh, and I think we have it. Do we have the kind of the bookmark looking thing? Yeah, the last uh, couple lines deal with what you might call last things. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This is the, the, the where are things headed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And maybe a question just for you to reflect on. Just pause for a moment and kind of just think to yourself. You know, uh, for yourself... What, what do you personally believe uh, will happen after you die? What do you believe will happen after you die? Not what, not what do I believe, not what your family believes. What do you believe will happen after you die? And what, and what do you believe in, ten, in, in, in 100 years or 1,000 years or 10,000 years or 100,000 years, this world that our whole, like we all have life in the What happens to this world? What do you believe will be the end of this world we live in? Today we're, we're talking about last things. Creed says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And for some of us, uh, you know, for some of us, these, these, are, these can be abstract. They can feel far away. We don't uh, we can go long periods of time without thinking about death, without thinking about what happens in the end. For, for others of us, this can feel very personal and close. If you've had uh, someone close to you who's passed away recently, it feels like a thin place. If you're facing an illness or someone you love is facing an illness, these can be very emotional and close-up questions. But all of us, in one way or another, uh, how we answer these questions. What do I believe happens after we die? What do I believe the end of this world is going to be? For all of us, how we answer those questions will shape our life here and now. What we hope for and hope in and believe about the future will shape how we live today. And the the belief handed down to us by people who have walked with Jesus over the centuries is I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, before we get into the scripture, I just want to notice one thing real quick. Uh, do you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, I believe I will go to heaven when I die. That's kind of interesting, right? It says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, kind of in pop Christianity, kind of the caricature of Christianity, the, the, the caricature is like we go the pearly gates and the clouds and the halos and the white dress things, right? That's the caricature. I believe I'll go to heaven. But the, actually, Scripture doesn't say a lot about going to heaven when we die. This book talks about resurrection, and I want to unpack, I want to look at this with you today, this idea of resurrection, and why does it, what does the book 
what, is, what does scripture say when it means resurrection of the body and life everlasting? So I want to start, I'm just going to look at a couple scriptures real quick. You don't even have to flip there. But we're going to start with Jesus because that's a great place to start. Um, Jesus is talking about this. Matthew 19, 28. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about the end. And this is the phraseology that Jesus uses. He says, truly I tell you, at the, and what's the next word? It doesn't say at the destruction of all things. Does it say at the escape of all things? Jesus says at the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. And he goes on, the Son of Man being him, throne being this place of judgment, at the renewal of all things. Apparently for Jesus, Jesus envisions a time at some point in the future when all things will be made new. Peter, one of Jesus's, uh, his close disciples, after Jesus has been resurrected and, and he's, um, he's ascended into heaven, Peter is teaching about Jesus. And in Acts 3.21, Peter picks the same theme up. And in Acts 3.21, listen to what Peter says. Peter's talking about Jesus and he says, heaven must receive him. That is, what, what Peter's saying, he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus has been resurrected and now he's gone to this other dimension. Scripture calls this other dimension heaven. So Jesus is in the other dimension called heaven, heaven, and he must go there until the time comes for God to what everything? To get rid of everything. No, no, for everyone to leave behind everything. He says, for God to restore everything. So Peter's picking this up. He's this, this future time is coming when Jesus, who's now in this other dimension, is going to come back and everything will be restored. I want to look at another leader in the Jesus movement, 1 Corinthians 15. Now we're going to actually, if you want to flip in your Bibles, we'll be a little longer in this passage. 1 Corinthians 15. This is a leader, brilliant man, Paul, talking about what the death and resurrection and ascension Jesus means, means for us, it means for our future. Paul's talking about this, and he picks the same theme up and explores it a little more deeply. So uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul's writing on these same themes, and he says, But Christ, Jesus, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Right? That's, that's the resurrection story that we celebrate on Easter. Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ, he, he, he didn't just kind of... Uh, he didn't become a ghost. That he, he, His body was reanimated. He had a physical embodied existence. Jesus did in his resurrection. It, he could eat fish. He could build a campfire. But somehow it was also an extraordinary body. Remember, he shows up in locked rooms without going through the door. There's something very different about this. But he, he had, this, he had this, this, this somehow extraordinary embodied existence. So Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, resurrected. And then it says, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits, a common Jewish term that literally meant the first fruit, right? uh, We have a strawberry patch in our backyard, and uh, we recently got the first strawberries out of the garden. The kids, they, you know, they've been watching, when do they turn red, when do they turn red, and they they grabbed them, and those strawberries, the first red strawberries, they're, they're a picture of more to come. 
The first fruit is a picture of more to come. It's a promise of more to come. Hey, there's going to be more things just like this on its way. It's the first fruits. And throughout the summer, while they're playing out there, they'll eat all the strawberries. I'll never get any. But those are the first fruits. I know more are coming. The first fruits. And so Jesus' resurrection, it's the first fruits, the picture and the promise of more to come. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21. For since death came through a man, this is referring to Adam and the, uh, the kind of introducing sin and death into the world. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, that is Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, a.k.a. resurrected. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, Christ the first, the promise, the picture of more to come. Then when he comes... Those who belong to him. So when he, when he returns, remember Peter said that he's in heaven, this other dimension, until this time comes for God to restore everything. So until the time for Jesus to return comes, then all who belong to him will be resurrected. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And I can't help but just... Think about the Corinthians. They're under the Roman Empire. There's these, these Greek pantheon temples up above where they live. And here, you know, Jesus said, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Paul picks up the same theme. And, uh, he, and he, he just describes a little bit more. And I want to talk, I want to just summarize it for a second. I think we have a, a picture here. And this is kind of the picture that Jesus and Peter and Paul are giving us. It's something like this. That Jesus, he, uh, he was crucified, he was resurrected, and then he ascended. He went to this other dimension known as heaven. He's in this other dimension. And then at some point that in the future, Jesus calls it renewal. Um, Peter calls it rest, when God... Um, will restore all things. Paul talks about the end when all the, every dominion and power that opposes God will be defeated, even, even death itself. There'll be this great resurrection. Uh, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all talk about this time when Jesus will come back and there'll be resurrection, renewal, restoration. Are we following that? Yes. Now, some of us may still be asking this question. Okay, if that's kind of, that's God's cosmic program. That's where the whole thing is headed. God, God will begin the good work he completed in this whole place. There's this question of, okay, what happens, what happens to me if I die before that all occurs? Can we go to that next slide? So you are here. I am there, right, on this timeline. And what if my line ends before the big line ends? Right? This is the, these are the questions that we ask. You know that you're thinking this. So what happens? And theologians have this word, this phrase for the time in between when, when I die and the great resurrection, renewal, restoration. And they, 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 they call and theologians. They just generally have this ability to turn a powerful phrase just to a poetic like imagination they call it the intermediate state <laughs> right how let's call it the intermediate state right it's kind of i hope in the intermediate state yeah that's what they because it's intermediate it's like you know it's uh 
our life on earth has ended, the great resurrection, renewal, restoration has occurred yet, and so we're in this intermediate state. Mm. And, they, and, people, um, and people debate and look at scripture and debate, okay, what is our experience in the intermediate state? And the reality is, scripture has a lot less to say about the intermediate state than it does the great resurrection, restoration, renewal of all things. That, the, the focus of scripture falls on the end. And it gives us less details about this thing called the intermediate state. And there's different people, you know, you know, from the hints in scripture. Well, are we unconscious? And it'll just be like we wake up in the end. Well, it seems the evidence seems to suggest more that we'll have some kind of conscious experience anticipating somehow that we'll have some kind of experience of either being with God or apart from God and um, Kind of anticipating what, our, what it'll be like after the resurrection. And, but, but somehow in the intermediate state it'll be incomplete because we're meant to be embodied beings and we won't be embodied in this time. But the, but, but the point being that scripture doesn't place the emphasis there on the intermediate state. The scripture puts the emphasis on the end, the resurrection, restoration, renewal of all things. Partly because... God generally isn't super concerned about just like satisfying our idle curiosity. God tends to be much more concerned about telling us the things we need to know to live after him, to follow him, to live the kind of lives that honor him in our time here and now. All right, so where am I, where am I going with all this? Let me check where I'm going with all this. Because maybe you're like, Tim, where are you going with all this? This is, this is where I'm going. I wanted, one, I wanted to just talk about this. Well, well, this is the part of Creed we're on. And one, I want to just kind of, I want you to know what Scripture says. Because a lot of times we have these caricatures floating around out there. This is what is really true in Christianity. I want, I want you to know, this is, Scripture talks about resurrection, restoration. Renewal. This is where the scriptural story goes. One, for you to know. But two, I also just want to take a moment on the, what is this for? Because like I said, like when, when you read through the Bible, you do, God just doesn't seem super concerned about, I wonder what kind of questions people will ask about everything. And I'll just answer them all ahead of time for people. Okay, no, that doesn't, like that's not what this book is about. And part, and we get in a lot of trouble sometimes because we try to force all our questions into it. This, God seems concerned to tell us what we need to know for us to be men and women of courage and faithfulness and sacrificial love. People of hope who live lives that honor him, that are obedient to him here and now. He, he tells us things for a reason. And I think there are some reasons that he tells us about resurrection, restoration, and renewal. I think one of the things um, reflects his commitment to this world, to our physical body, our physical embodied existence. I think when, when you're here and maybe you're passionate about medicine and helping people live healthy embodied lives, you're a nurse or a doctor and you care about people's bodies, I think you're connecting into a God who, who made us as embodied people, a God who cares about bodies enough to resurrect us in an embodied state. I think you're reflecting his heart for this kind of existence. Maybe you're here and you care about the environment. You care about this creation. I think you're reflecting God's heart who cares enough about this world that he will renew and restore all things. You're 
tapping into his heart, his commitment to this place. God, God tells us these things for a reason. I believe in the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. I think one of the big reasons he tells us about this is because he knows that we need concrete confidence. We need a vision of the future because he knows how dark some of the seasons of our life will be and the kind of resistance we will face at times. And I think that's why he wants to give us a picture, a concrete picture of where he's taking things. Because there will be times in our life where you get railroaded at work, where you are betrayed by parents or a spouse. There will be times where things just, you, you place your hope in this thing at school and it fell apart. There will be times where you get caught up in a movement, a cause, and you are excited about where it's going, and then the founder runs off with the secretary. There will be dark times. There will be times when we, we have our phenomenal royal family people here today, working with kids in foster care. But there will be times where it feels like you have a squirt gun against a forest fire. There will be times for that when, 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 when you're fighting uh, sex trafficking around the world or we have people teaching farming techniques in sub-Saharan Africa or ho- housing the homeless. There will be times where it feels like I have a squirt gun and there is an inferno. And I think our God knows that need, we need concrete confidence. A concrete picture of where he's taking things. That, that, that God says to, the resurrection of the body is not about idle speculation, but it's about that there will be a day when this Jesus, this king who would die for us, that he comes back. And he says, that's enough. And every dominion and authority and power that has set itself up against the kingdom of God and that seeks to harm image bearers and harm his world and work against God's purposes in the world, that Jesus will say no more. It's time to restore. It's time to renew. Our God knows that we need this concrete confidence where the story ends. That the, the resurrection of the body, it's not just idle speculation, this idea to put in our back pockets, but it's meant to be like this rocket fuel hope that powers us on today. And a hope in Him that our life, that our life, any the life we have now and the life we have in the future, it's a gift. We don't, we're, we, it's not just this intrinsic property of reality. We don't just get immortal souls automatically. Resurrection, this, this reanimate, being brought back to life, it is a gift. And it is based on our faith in a good gift giver. It's a statement about a God who says, what the good work that I begin in this world, I will bring to completion.
we don't automatically get immortal souls. We don't cease to exist when we die. We don't fall into an endlessly recurring cycle. We have a God who says there will be a resurrection and a restoration and renewal. I want to give just a, a cool, uh, what I find, a kind of a fascinating picture of how God uh, describes this to his people from Scripture. We'll qu- real quick here to, to wrap up. Um, so in 1 Kings 6.20, you're like, Tim, what are you doing? 1 Kings. Uh, so 1 Kings 6 is describing the architecture of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. Okay? Solomon's building this great big temple. And in the temple in Jerusalem, as you go in, there is an inner sanctuary. The Holy of Holies. The most holy place. And in this place is the Ark of the Covenant. Right? Indiana Jones is looking for this. And this is... The Holy of Holies is the place where uh, the... Jewish people believe God's presence most fully dwelt on earth. Okay? Now, I want to read this. This is a little geometry majors. Track with me here. 1 Kings 6, uh, 20. The inner sanctuary, that's the Holy of Holies, was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. What shape do we have? A cube. There are not many cubes in the Bible. The Bible is not a real big book on geometry, but there is another one. Revelation 21, the second to last chapter in Scripture. So we just read about this most holy place, God's presence most fully dwells. It's a cube in the temple. So then we come to the very end of the story, Revelation 21, verse 2. And this is kind of the end of the end that we've been talking about today. I saw, in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So this is a, uh, it's a city, this heavenly reality coming out of heaven, coming down to earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So somehow there's this heavenly city coming down that somehow... Some heavenly reality is coming to earth. God's going to be with his people there. Now jump all the way to verse 16. The city is being measured as you do. The city, verse 16, was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. What shape is this city? A cube. Now, either this is a very strange city or something is being said that works within the Jewish mindset. If you are a first century Jew and you read about a cube city, what is being evoked in your mind? The Holy of Holies, this place where God's presence, his presence of good and justice and love and joy and life most fully is present. And this cube city is being described as coming down to heaven, to earth, this heavenly reality coming down to heaven and earth, and it's 12,000 stadia. The size of the known Mediterranean world at this time is around 12,000 stadia. And so we have a, a holy of holies where God's presence most fully dwells. That's the size of the known world coming down out of heaven to earth. 
And it's this picture of the end when, when, when God, the, the God of love, the source of love and joy and life and goodness and justice will come and saturate and be fully present here. And the great resurrection and the renewal, restoration. What do you believe? What do you believe will be the end of this world we live in? What do you believe will happen to you after you die? We're given some three billion heartbeats. Sometimes when my girls uh, put their head on my chest, I'll say, will you listen? See what, it, see what it sounds like. And they'll put their head on my chest and, you know, they're not looking at me. And I'll say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And they're like, Dad. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. And I wonder if that's not a pale reflection of the heartbeat of this God. This God, this God that is so committed that his son came and gave his life. He was resurrected from the dead and ascended to this other dimension in heaven, not to escape from us, but to promise to come again. This God who says, I promise to come and there will be resurrection. There will be renewal. There will be resur- restoration. I will say no to every dominion, authority, and power that sets itself up against me and my kingdom and that death itself will die. And so we say with our brothers and sisters over the centuries, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. King Jesus, uh, we do believe in these words and that you, um, you did these things and made these promises and gave us this vision of the future for a reason. And so I just pray for us in the room here right now. And Jesus, uh, you know what we're thinking about and the questions we're asking. You know the places that we have a great fear of uh, our own mortality, of a loved one. You know the places where we have a great loss. We need concrete confidence about where you're taking things. You know the places where we are walking in a dark valley right now. And I just pray even this morning that you would speak your words of concrete hope in the places that we need to hear it. In your name. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.